Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast that we haven't done stats in a while. I am your host, Joshua Tracing. And I am Paul Miller. And we are, we're back inside. <laughs> we're not recording in the cold, wet night. We are, it's, it's the middle of the day on February 5th, and we are back to being not outside. Doesn't it uh, feel good? It does feel good. Uh, so we usually record Tuesday nights. Uh, oh, we mix it up with, with this one. It's Tuesdays or, or Wednesdays, but I'd say most typically Tuesday nights. And we always complain that uh, once we're done recording, big news breaks. And because we couldn't record Tuesday night and it left us to record on Wednesday, big news broke after when we would have recorded was done. So thank God. And uh, we have colossal news, uh, which is also good because it took forever to fully form in the public sphere. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Minnesota Twins, and the Boston Red Sox have engaged in a three-way trade in which the Los Angeles Dodgers receive from the Red Sox right fielder Mookie Betts and starting pitcher David Price along with some cash considerations. The Minnesota Twins receive Kenta Maeda from the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox receive outfielder Alex Verdugo from the Dodgers and relief pitcher or right-handed pitcher. No, I think it's relief pitcher. Uh, Bruce Dar Graterol from the Minnesota Twins. In addition to that, which is a smaller trade, although we will also get into it because it's just so interesting, uh, the Dodgers have also traded outfielder Jock Peterson and outfielder Andy Pages to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim for second baseman Luis Rengifo. Whew. Yeah, this was, um, man, this was just a, a whole lot. lot. Yeah. Out the fucking blue. <laughs> this shit. Goddamn. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, this is... I, I mean... I honestly never expected him to be traded. I really like, thought it was... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it was one of those things where, like, it made sense that he was. But at the same time, I just... You know, you, you don't expect it to happen. It's one of those things people had talked about so much that you just go like i mean i i guess they could because like anything can happen but at the same time it's like it's it's mookie fucking bets we spent so much time debating the other day if he was gonna get a 400 million dollar contract because out of all the players in baseball not named mike trout he'd be the most likely to get it like he's fucking amazing just to read off his uh his hardware for you mvp four-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove, three-time Silver Slugger, a batting title, a Major League Player of the Year award, a Wilson Overall Defensive Player of the Year award, and a 2018, the 2018 World Series champion. Um, that's not a guy you usually trade <laughs> going well, into his age 27 season. Yeah, this is, this is just, uh, again, it, it's crazy. Um, I love the Dodgers in this. You know, I I I don't hate what the Red Sox got. I mean, they shed that payroll. They got their prospects. They got two very good prospects. Um, I don't know what the Twins were doing involved in this trade. 
you know, like, I don't know why they were even a part of this. I don't know why they would make this trade. I get, actually, I get why they made this trade. I just, it doesn't really make sense. It's, I just, I don't know, man. All right. So t- taking it one, one little bit at a, at a time here, because as we've said, there's just, oh, so much to, uh, to digest from this. Um, the Dodgers. I think their advantage is obvious. They <laughs> they basically just upgraded from Jock Peterson to Mookie Betts. Um, yes. And then and upgraded I, from Kentameda to David Price. Yeah, and they also, I guess, uh, Alex Verdugo, you could include in it. Uh, they, they combo got rid of Alex Verdugo and Jock Peterson for Mookie Betts and then Kenta Maeda for David Price. So their their intrigue in this is very obvious. Um, Mm -hmm. If you combine Jock Peterson and Alex Verdugo's 2019 war, you get 6.4. Mookie Betts' war last year was 6.8, which is more. Quite a bit. Which is astonishing. And also having even if it was less by like a little bit like if you know instead of 6.8 he had like 5.9 or 6.1 which is still less than those two players put together um having 980% 90% of two combined players war is uh, much better than having those two players <laughs> like one four win player is probably more valuable than two 2.0 win players depending on where those positions are located uh so Eesh, uh, and the rest of your team makeup, but in the Dodgers' case, their team is very good. So you know, you you take what you can. You you don't you don't mind getting rid of a few a couple uh, redundant players here. No, I don't know how any Dodgers fan could ever look at this trade and be like, "Oh shit, I like those guys. I'd rather keep them." Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely not. So off the jump, they've already you know improved in their position player sphere. The David Price part of it is kind of funky because the reason he was moved is as a result of payroll issues. The Red Sox right now are in the midst of trying to pay less money to people. Uh, In this year upcoming, Mookie Betts was due $27 million, as we knew from his um, uh, arbitration settlement or case. No, he didn't even get, did he even go to ARB? I I don't remember. I forget. I think. I think he did, and I think he won. No, they. St- I don't remember. It doesn't matter. He's getting twenty-seven million dollars for an R player. It was a record. That plus, um, David Price's thirty-two million dollars he was making this year. That means that the Red Sox just moved. In theory, before we get to the cash considerations, they just got rid of fifty-eight million dollars between two players. So, from that perspective, it's like, oh, okay. Um, cold-bloodedly i can understand um but wow now with cash considerations david price i believe the red i think it's a 50 50 split from what i'm looking at here on spot track where the um red sox are paying half and the dodgers are paying half so each team will owe 16 million dollars so more so instead of the um red sox relieving themselves 58 million dollars there or sorry 59 million dollars 32 plus 27 sorry 59 did i say 59 59 million dollars they're, they're, uh, they're in, instead 
got rid of $43 million of payroll this year, plus the additional $32 million for David Price's following two years of his contract uh, since he signed through the 2022 season. So in terms of the all-valuable flexibility that we have heard so much about recently, I, I get it. I get it, but at the same time, it's like, oh fuck, bud! Like, really? Are you sure? Um, because last time, the last time, <laughs> the Red Sox won the World Series in a year ending in nineteen, and then traded away their future Hall of Fame right fielder. It did not go well for them, <laughs> and they are on a very downward trajectory. Yeah, that's, I mean, granted, this is going to be one of those trades that helps build up their farm system, but outside of Gratoro now, they they don't have much, if anything. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't see they are projected to do much of any competing in the next couple of years. Yeah, they're, uh, last year they finished with 84 wins, so they went 84 and 78. Do you think they finish above 500 this year? I think they'll still finish above 500, but I don't think they're really in consideration for a playoff spot. You know what's sad is I don't think they do. You don't think they finish above 500? I actually don't. The Rays got better. The Yankees got better. I can't imagine the Orioles will get worse. So I am going to say that they will get, I don't know, five wins better. Nothing crazy. And the Blue Jays got better. And the Red Sox got worse. And if you all that separates them from being 500 is three losses going the other way, or three wins going the other way, I should say. Um, that's not a lot. And they could certainly lose an extra three games, four games to get them below 500. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with that, you know, sentiment. I just, I don't know if they, they fall enough to really hit that point, but if they fall, you know, if they are below 500 at the end of the year, you know, I I can't say I'm going to be terribly surprised. So the, uh, Dodgers absorb 6.8 war from Mookie Betts last year, plus 1.9 war from David Price last year. Can you believe Mookie Betts has more career war than David Price? Um, David Price playing for 12 years, Mookie Betts playing for six. Okay, then yeah, no, I would not believe that. Ridiculous. Yeah. But but it's true. So altogether, they they have uh, taken on an additional 8.7 war. Uh, but the Dodgers have lost, as I said, Alex Verdugo, um, Kenton Maeda, and Jock Peterson. Alex Verdugo and Jock Peterson combining for 6.4 war, plus Kenton Maeda's 1.8 gives them a total of 8.2. So they come out half a win on top in all that. Um, payroll higher, certainly, but an extra half a win? Um, for where they're at right now, it definitely makes sense. The twins, no, the the Dodgers. Oh yeah, yeah. because Absolutely. they need to win as fast as possible. Yeah, I honestly like. I think this puts them. You know, I know we talked about the Yankees being like the de facto favorites for next year. I think this puts the Dodgers right there in that tier. I think this is now a two horse race. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I think know anything every- can happen, you know, and it does every year, but these are two super teams now. And I, I don't know how anyone's going to be able to sniff, you know, the level these two teams have, you know, these two teams are going to reach next year. Yeah, I don't. I I will be surprised if anyone doesn't have their World Series prediction being Dodgers Yankees. Right. Um. It's just so set up to be that. It's incredibly so. God, uh, I want to bring up the Dodgers depth chart while you you say. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to the Twins because we'll uh, we'll finish with the Red Sox because there's more to say for certain. Um. And I was going to bring up the Dodgers depth chart, but since you're already doing it, perfect. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, the, the twin side of this, they lose a minor league starting pitcher or pitcher of some some ilk. He is uh, projected as a starter right now. All right, that makes more sense. Thank you. Uh, they lose a minor league starting pitcher for to acquire a major league starting pitcher. So their engagement in this is relatively minimal, but impactful for them. Their division is not good, the the AL Central, but at the same time, small adjustments are important you know and the one issue the twins had that everyone could blatantly see is starting pitching they were basically diet yankees they had a really really good lineup uh but their their pitching was eh, and they lost a few starting pitchers and so getting kenta maeda who i know didn't post you know earth-shattering numbers last year i know it might not seem big but it is a it's an improvement and in an area in which they needed it. And so in that sense, it makes sense. There's not a lot to say, but that's it. Yeah, so I have the Dodgers depth chart up here if you want to talk that real quick. All right, let me see if I can work my way through it. So the outfield now is going to be Cody Bellinger, yep. Mookie Betts, which holy fuck, I mean, just those two. And then who's in left field? Do you want to work through it, or do you want to... Me just no, get, get, give me the left fielder. AJ Pollock. Oh, that's right. I forgot they signed him. So then, where the fuck is Enrique Hernandez? Is he listed at second base right now? No, Gavin Lux is listed at second base. Number two oh, okay, so it's Enrique... Yes, Gavin Lux, who's supposed to be very good. So I guess that means Corey Seager is still at short. Gavin Lux is at second. Uh, um... Uh, Justin Turner's at third, and Enrique Hernandez is at first. Max Muncy. Oh, it's right, Max Muncy. Always forget about him. Okay, so and then Hernandez catching... is listed as the second, uh, you know, backup second baseman, third baseman, uh, and then I guess the third first baseman. So is he listed at all in the outfield again? I'm sorry. Is he listed at all in the outfield? Because I know he plays out there too. He is not. Chris Taylor seems to be the de facto fill-up for uh, the outfield. Yes, yes, yes. This makes sense. Uh, Will Smith, I'm assuming, is still catching? Yes. And then starting pitching will be uh, Clayton Kershaw. Um, they re-signed Alex. Well, they didn't re-sign. They, well, I guess it counts as re-signing. Alex Wood's there. Uh, Walker Bueller, David Price. Is there another guy listed? There is. Young guy. Oh, Justin May? Uh, no, Julio Arias. Oh, that's right. That's oh, right. Okay. So their their starting five uh, in order as listed is Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, Julio Arias, and Alex Wood. Which you know, is going from Fenway to Dodger player. Stadium uh, might be it could really really help out David Price. That yeah, 
Because a left-handed pitcher swinging into um, allowing um, right-handed batters to swing into the green monster is a massively different experience than pitching into the 380-foot power alley of Dodger Stadium. I'd love to see a nice big... I know we don't necessarily want to call it a resurgence, but seeing David Price come back to being a, a de facto ace would be very exciting. Yeah, as much as I, I kind of hate to say it because he's, he's coming off playing for the Red Sox, a team I hate and is now going to go towards the Dodgers, a team I generally dislike. Um, seems kind of silly, but at the same time, I've always kind of dug David Price the dude. Mm-hmm. He's always seemed like a pretty stand-up guy outside of when he's giving Dennis Eckersley shit for seemingly no reason. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. I think it'd be cool just to see if, if it's an opportunity he can seize. And I love it when players turn their careers around. I agree. I agree. It's always Uh, a little heartwarming. (laughs) And then just to close this out in the bullpen, they have Kenley Jansen, Joe Kelly, Blake Trinan, Pedro Baez, Ross Stripling, and Caleb Ferguson as their top guys. So Dodgers are fucking stacked. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd say that's a fair assumption there, big guy. <laughs> so do you want to? Com- that's right. Do you want to compare this to the current Yankees depth chart? Do you want to do like a one for one there? Yeah, let's see what's going on. All right. So at first, let's let's start with the. Oh uh, no, let's start with the outfield. Mookie bets to Judge. I really want to say it's a push, but I think I got to give it to Mookie. Yeah, um, I agree with that. It's not much. I mean, you know, it's Judge is a phenomenal right fielder, but Mookie Betch is just in a so whole much other better. tier. Yeah. Um, not, honestly, no, not even that's not even not even so much better. If, I would say Judge's ceiling is Mookie Betts, but the problem is Judge has played one full season and two injury plagued seasons, and that to me is the big difference maker. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Center field isn't even a competition. It's it's Cody Ballinger of the Dodgers. Uh, left field is going to be against Brett Gardner, just for reference. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Against Brett Gardner, since Aaron Aaron Hicks will start off the season on IL because he just had Tommy John surgery, uh, left field. I'm going to give to the Yankees for Giancarlo Stanton versus AJ Pollock. Um, Giancarlo Stanton, who was injured most of last year, but at the same time is also a former MVP winner and very, very good at baseball. Whereas AJ Pollock, the difference there is, uh, significantly higher for Stanton you know, over Pollock compared to Mookie and Judge. Yeah, that's say I say it's very fair. So overall, with two out of three going to the Dodgers, I'd say the Dodgers have the outfield. First base, Max Muncie versus Luke Boyd, I think is actually kind of a push. Um, yeah, I would agree with the push. Yeah, you might. If you argued with me that Muncie has the edge because he's lefty, I would say maybe, but not enough for it to really matter in my eyes. Second base is... DJ LeMahieu against Gavin Lux, which as of right now, I'm going to actually give it to DJ LeMahieu only because he is the known quantity in that scenario, and the known mm-hmm. quantity is very good. Uh, although that opinion can certainly be changed by the All-Star game if Gavin Lux proves to be everything and more. Right, that, that's exactly how I would put it. I mean, DJ LeMahieu is an All-Star caliber second baseman right now. Gavin Lux could be anything. He could be DJ LeMahieu. We don't know yet. Yeah, like, like, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, shortstop, I'm actually also going to give to the Yankees. I think Glaber Torres at this point in his career is better than Corey Seager. Uh, I agree. Same thing with, uh, you know, the Stanton argument is 
uh, and Judge argument, I guess, is just <laughs> Seager's just been so injured as of late that it's it's hard to say that he, you know, can put up a season like what he did back when uh, a couple of years ago now, I guess. So Yeah, twenty seventeen, I think. Ain't yeah, that some shit? To Taurus. Oh shit! I just got a notification that Ross Stripling is also going to the Dodgers. Uh, sorry, also going to the Angels in the Jock Peterson trade. Okay, I don't think that should affect the Dodgers. It won't too much. It won't. He would have been a six starter for the Angels. Yeah, finally they get some pitching. Uh, we'll Honestly, talk about that more. He's one of those guys that you could stretch out as a starter if you needed to. I think he was a starter for a while there. He was, yeah. He filled yeah. in for them with uh, Dodgeritis. <laughs> um, I like that. All right, so we're at third base, which is Justin Turner versus Gio Urshela. This is a weird one because mm-hmm. Gio Urshela is coming off by far the best season of his career, and Justin Turner is slowly getting worse. So it could be a push. That would be yeah. a best case scenario because I will not say that Glaber, uh, Glaber Twist, that Gio Urshela at any point is going to be better than Justin Turner. So I'd say best case scenario push, most likely scenario, Justin Turner is still better. Again, I agree with you completely. So we'll it's call just hard that to have a, a one year sample size compared to a a guy with a significantly more than one year sample size, but is very much on the tail end of his career. Yeah, it's it's like how much do you want to predict the. Uh, decline of Justin Turner or the decline of any aging player versus the rise of any um, breakout candidate. So I will call it a slight Dodgers advantage, but on the whole, I give the, the um, I give the Yankees the infield. I agree. And then catcher is also going to be weird because Gary Sanchez needs to be healthy because when he's healthy, he is good. When he's not healthy, he is the worst player in baseball. Um, and <laughs> no, Will Chris Smith Davis still exists. Ah, it's close. <laughs> um, and then Will Smith had a really nice first, like major league season, like first like complete year with the Dodgers last year. So I will, I will basically put this in the same category. I put the third base discussion, but flipped where this season could end up with that position being a push. But if if everything went right and both players play up to their potential, Gary Sanchez is the better player. Yeah, again, it's one of those things where Will Smith is such a young player, he could do anything next year, and just Gary Sanchez has been all over the place the past couple of years. Um, but just raw talent is raw talent, and i got to give it to Sanchez. Now the real question becomes this pitching. Um, so can you well, read out the Dodgers we again? Compare DH first. Oh yeah, well, that's what's, that's what's tough is uh, the Dodgers play in the National League, <laughs> and the uh, the Yankees play in the American League, and uh, <laughs> not yet. They don't. The, the National League doesn't have that DH yet, but it's it's a coming, boy. It's a coming. So I mean, we got to give this one to Andujar. Uh, so that's another win for the Yankees, right there. Yes, sir. Who would DH for the the Dodgers? I would uh, actually guess Max Muncy. And yeah. they put someone else at first. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where it's it's hard to say because they just they're not gonna have a guy on their depth chart. They're not gonna have a guy on their roster, excuse me, to fill that position. So 
you know, it's it's hard to say who they'd fill in for the, you know, their backup second baseman. The yeah. they do it. Um all right. Starting rotation wise, it's actually for once tough. I say for once because the Dodgers seem to always have a good rotation, whereas the Yankees, that's not the case. The Yankees' rotation is usually spotty. But this year, the Dodgers' rotation, Corbin, could you read it again for me? Uh, the Dodgers' rotation is Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, Julio Arias, and Alex Wood. All right. So I'm going to treat Bueller more like the ace than I would Kershaw at this juncture, just because I think it's more fair. Um, yeah. Kershaw will likely be the opening day starter because he should be. But I would say at this point, with his, I don't want to overstate his decline, but his gentle decline, whereas Walker Bueller's massive assertion to dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, Bueller versus Cole. That's tough. Um, I, I want to give it, it to Cole. Just because Cole is, Cole, excuse me, is the de facto. Honestly, pitcher in baseball right now. Yeah. So it, it's it's hard to even have that discussion. It'd be like comparing Mike Trout to Mookie Betts. I know it's a different argument, but it's like, yeah, you could argue. But one is just, you know, one's clearly better. They're both so, really great. They are both really good. But one's better. Yeah. They, yeah. It, it, it's hard to say. Like, if, you, if you're the Dodgers and have Walker Bueller on your team, it's hard to say that, like, you'd significantly rather have Garrett Cole because Walker Bueller is so good, but you also in a vacuum might rather have Garrett Cole. It's, 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 it's tough. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give it to the Yankees, but I'm trying to be fair to the Dodgers here because Bueller is a phenomenal player. Um, so that means second we'll do, we'll do Clayton Kershaw against what I'm assuming is going to be Luis Severino. And that has to go to Kershaw. Yeah. Um, as much as I love Sevy and Sevy's, uh, peak right now or his ceiling right now might actually be better than what Kershaw can put out this season. Uh, Sevy is coming off a year and a half of very questionable baseball needs to show that he's healthy and that he can be what he was in the first half of 2018, which again is a season and a half ago. So mm-hmm. point it's, Kershaw. It's one of those things where Kershaw, you know, again is on the decline, but even then his down year is, you know, a great season for Severino. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, it, as a Yankee fan, I would gladly take Kershaw's year last year. Uh, if, if that was extrapolated out to Sevy's stats for this year. Like honestly, like Kershaw's worst year might be good enough to be the ace for 28, 29 teams in baseball. I, yeah, I definitely at least 25 of them. Like for sure. Mm-hmm. After that, I think it's David Price, right? Yep. So that'd be David Price against, uh, let's say, Masahiro Tanaka. And right I now, give me Paxton, but sure. I mean, you it's, would know. Yeah, it, it, it's one or the other. Oh, well, let's, 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 let's put it this way no order David Price and Alex Wood versus Masahiro Tanaka and James Paxton. Um, it, it, that's the Yankees all the, the way. Yankees. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say it's a push between David Price and. You know, maybe I'd give it Price over Tanaka. I might give it to Paxton over Price or call it a push. But the depth is so clearly in the Yankees' favor there. Yeah. It's basically what you said. You can make arguments, but at, at the end of it, the I think it goes to the Yankees. The fifth starter 
has it obviously is not on the Dodgers depth chart, so it's tough to. S- oh no, it's it's Arias, right? It's, yeah. Uh, so it'd be he's, Arias. He's actually their number four, but again, it's you know six of one, half dozen of another. That's true. Uh, so it'd be Arias against probably Jordan Montgomery. I would guess right now uh, a combination of J Happ and Jordan Montgomery, um, mm-hmm. which I don't even want to fucking guess, man. Julio Arias mostly worked out of the bullpen in the times I've watched the Dodgers play, and um. That leads me to lean towards a capable starter being better than him for an entire season. But those starters are old man Jay Happ and coming back from Tommy John surgery, uh, Jordan Montgomery. And I just don't want to pick that. So I'm going to just call it a push. Um, I will say I'm going to go straight towards Arias uh, just because I've had him on my dynasty team for several years. And that's, you know, very clearly going to give me some bias towards him. Uh, but that also means that I have watched him pitch more than I've seen, you know, a lot of other pitchers pitch. And he has the potential to be, you know, uh, I don't want to say, a, you know, a, an ace level starter, but he could easily be a number two if once they stretch him out. Um, yes. To be fair to Arias, having actually watched him pitch a little bit, he is phenomenal. Yes. I mean, he had a two four nine ERA last year, um, five strikeouts in how many innings? In seventy nine innings, um, I do think he could be a very, very good, like all star caliber pitcher in the next few years. Um, and I just, I don't know, Montgomery coming back from injury, Jaw Hap being a very old Jaw Hap. It's you know, it's it's what you would prefer there. Yeah, I, I I have a natural skepticism, as we all know from this show, which is why the only reason I'm not leaning heavily into the Urias um, hype train here. But at the same time, if I was forced to pick, which I'm not doing right now because no one is holding a gun to my head, um, I would probably go Urias. But at the same time, there are questions. How can you do over a full season? It's going to be a lot more innings, blah, 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 blah. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a gentle push. On the whole, I would lean towards the Yankees, but not by a lot. Yeah, I would I would agree with that just because of the depth of pitching and, you know, I've been vocal about that being where I put more weight as a team. Um so yeah, I I would put that I would say the Yankees have a, a the slightest edge, um, but as we all know, these are two of the most injured teams in baseball. The Dodgers, you know, seemingly forever, and the Yankees, you know, the last two years at least have been injury plagued for them. So we'll see how it actually turns out. I mean, if we have Mike Toutman and Clint Frazier starting right left field for them next year, and the Dodgers are starting their five, six, seven starters because everybody's hurt. This could be a very different story, but um, healthy as a whole, slight edge to the Yankees. Either way, the World Series is going to be phenomenal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can't wait to see who cheats to win it this year. Oh, I can't wait to see what they start tapping on to, to find success. <laughs> so I guess let's just kind of wrap up this with this one trade so we can get to the next one in a in a relatively timely fashion um so the red sox uh so like we said dodgers came out very much so 
looking strong. The Twins, a mild upgrade, but still an upgrade. The Red Sox, now they are, they did shed payroll, which you can say is a good thing for future teams. Um, you can say that they like invested in MLB player futures um, because they're going to have to sign more, I guess. Uh, they also now get Alex Verdugo, who will, I'm assuming, is will be starting in right field in, in place of Mookie Betts pretty immediately. Um, and and they also get uh, Bruce Dar Graterol, who uh, doesn't seem bad. And honestly, the Red Sox bullpen is miserable, so he'll probably also be on the Major League roster with a relative immediacy. In 2019, his age 20 season, he played for three teams spanning double A and triple A. Uh, he went seven and zero with a 1.92 ERA. Uh, he pitched. That's 18 games. He uh, he had one save, 61 innings, a WHIP of 0 0.984. By all by all accounts, he, he's been very good thus far in his minor league career, uh, especially these past like two seasons in particular. Um, so he'll he's a, it seems like a, a worthwhile lottery pick, but that doesn't explain or give insight into what the Red Sox are going to be doing for the next like four or five years. And that's what I can't figure out because this is the last season of JBJ's rookie deal. And there's been no sign of movement on his end for an extension. So I would just operate under the assumption that he's probably gone. Uh, so that means your outfield is now missing a one of the three best defensive pieces in baseball. Um, it's also the, the bat won't be much different because his bat's just terrible. Um, so you're not losing much out from there, but it leaves a big question mark in a very premium position. Their infield is a fucking mess on the right side. Like their left side's fine between Xander Bogarts and um, that fucking baby face dude. I always forget the name of. Um, um. Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers, thank you so much. But first base is who? Mitch Moreland again? For him to get hurt for 70 games? And second base is still not going to be Dustin Pedroia. That ship has definitely sailed. He might retire this year. Um, so it's guy number four? Like, who Who so, the fuck uh, you got? I just pulled up their depth chart. Uh, they have Mitch Moreland or... Uh, Michael Chavez at first, and then Jose Peraza or Michael Chavez second. Oof, so, Jesus, that's awful. Yeah, not great. And then their catching situation is still Christian Vasquez, who, to his credit, had a career year last season, but I also don't believe that that's who he's going to be this year because he's never done it before. There's no reason to think he's going to do it again. And Sande Leon, who's only on the team because Chris Sale likes him. I Which, don't think he's on the team anymore. Oh, is he not? I'm pretty sure he's on the Indians. Oh, so then that's even worse. Um, and so that brings us pretty much to the rotation, which just lost the the two of the one-two punch, where it's now Chris Sale, Nathan Eovaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, and whom? Uh, and Martin Perez. I don't even know who that is. Yeah. And 
Now, Sale, I'm, I'm not going to give any shit to because he was hurt last season. Everyone gets hurt eventually. I feel like every pitcher has that season. He'll probably be fine, um, at least until proven otherwise. But Eduardo Rodriguez is not good. I know he won a bajillion games last year, but that was fucking weird even while it was happening because he's not great. And uh, Nathan Neovaldi can't not be hurt. So I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. And there's no short-term fixes. Or there's no short-term fixes for sure outside of spending a ton of money. But also, there's no long-term solution here either because their farm system is dirt. Like the, the, the two people they just got are probably going to be on the major league roster because there's just so many holes. Yeah. I mean, Verdugo's, Verdugo is probably going to be their starting right fielder. And great Toral, I don't, I mean, I can't say I've followed him closely, but I can't imagine that they're going to have, you know, that young of a guy be a starter for them day one, but he might have to. At least be in the bullpen. So one of the more experienced bullpen dudes can move to the starting roles if need be. Right. And I mean, their bullpen is not exactly great. I mean, Brian Wor- Workman as their closer is Spotty decent at best. Yeah, and then a bunch of guys I've never even heard of: Barnes, yeah. Taylor, Hernandez, Hembry. Like, it's not inspiring. No, it's very much so not. And Oof. the Red Sox have like no prospects to speak of. Yeah, um, I mean their their top prospect is Tristan Cassis, who's ugh. not expected. Like their the ETAs for the top prospects are twenty twenty two, okay, um, twenty twenty for Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, it it's not exactly you know these guys aren't top one hundred players. Put it that way, and to go even further. Somehow the Red Sox are still number five in total payroll. Um, even after moving, as I said, uh, $43 million of payroll this year, they're still at $178.8 million of 2020 total payroll, which is, like I said, fifth most in baseball behind the Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, and Cubs in that order. And just ahead of the Angels and Phillies, the only other two teams near them in payroll amount. And so, uh, sorry, God. I was just gonna say, and so like, yeah, they're under the luxury tax threshold, but like, if their goal here is to limit spending, um, they've done it to the, whatever extent they can while still fielding something that looks like a a major league roster. But like, this doesn't leave them a lot of a lot of um, flexibility to spend down the road because this would give them the room to sign like one good player. Yeah, it's not. It's not looking good for them. Uh, just to correct what I said, they have two players in the top 100, uh, Broodsar, Gratoral, and Tristan Casas. Casas is number 77. Gratoral is 83. Or Gratoral, excuse me. However you say it, yeah. yeah. I don't know yet. So, if I am a Red Sox fan, I am probably really, really afraid. Um, I'm definitely mad. First and foremost, I'm definitely mad. Um, because why would they do this? I understand that you might not be in the world's greatest position to win, but at the same time, it's not impossible, i.e. the 2013 Red Sox. Hmm. But also, like, how are you supposed to have any confidence in your team at this point? Because they were so invested on going all in, 
I mean, if you look at if you look at any of the teams that got left in the wake of what um, Dave Dombrowski did, i.e., the Tigers, you should be pretty fucking afraid. Because <laughs> if these Red Sox end up being like the Tigers, oh man, I'm happy about it. But like, oh wow, yeah, this is this is kind of a situation that the bottom could fall out any minute. Yeah. No team is immune to it. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't think the Red Sox should be holding on to Bogarts, holding on to Devers, Sale, Rodriguez, J.D. Martinez, you know, Benatendi. I think they need to clear house and just avoid treading water. Like, we were talking about it. We're debating whether or not they're going to be above or below 500. They're going to be around that, you know, that range. You know, 500 plus or minus five games or so. Um, that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to build your farm system. That's not going to make you a contender. Uh, I think it's time for them to kind of, you know, sell the house. Not only that, but I would venture to say that a team in today's baseball environment would mm-hmm. rather lose 100 games than win 80. Right. Because then your payroll's down, you have a high draft pick, and um, you're just in a better spot for the following season than you actually would have been if you had only won 80. Because your draft pick sucks, chances are you still had to run a decent payroll, and you're still at least 10 wins away from being seriously competitive. And these days, where teams win 100 games, you're more like 15 to 20 games away from being seriously competitive. Uh, Teams... I think would rather bottom out these days and then work their way back up a la the Padres, the Tigers, the Orioles, um, the Mets, the Phillies. Like it's common as shit. What the giants are doing now. Yeah. So I think, I guess, you know, the Padres or maybe the twins even are showing that it's, you know, we're not seeing them come back to the, the you know competitive phase but we can see they're on the cusp of it you know the twins are competing now the padres right there and they're probably a better uh, example of teams choosing to bottom out and rebuild through the farm uh and it works you know yeah and uh the white Sox as well i should shout out them right, right, right. Very that's well. a great example um so this season will tell like you said they do have a lot of pieces that would make sense for them to move. Uh, I'm willing to bet that if this trade happened a month ago when JD Martinez had his opt-out clause due, he probably would have opted out instead of staying on this team. Not even out to like, I don't know, get more money like most opt-out clauses are used for, but probably just because this ship is sinking and a good player on a bad team is a sad dude. Yeah. He probably would rather go elsewhere. So I'm going to imagine that's going to be a discussion point for some players in the locker room as the season goes forward. Plus with the Red Sox front office, probably wanting to move on from some people as well in an attempt to further shed payroll and gain flexibility as well as just um, keeping payroll down, keeping players uh, acquiring more capital in their farm system, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anything else you want to uh, talk about with baseball right now? Are there any other trades that occurred? Yeah, the, oh, the Angels have, trade. Yeah. Yeah, so, Peterson. Yeah, so 
Jock Peterson is gone. Uh, he, as well as apparently uh, uh, Ross Stripling, are off to Anaheim, where they will be uh, there now. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. It's Jock Peterson, Andy Pages, and um, Ross Stripling. All, all going in exchange for Luis Rangifo and a tweet I just saw said uh, also two more prospects. So what I can only assume this is about is the Dodgers felt just like they were overcrowded and wanted to move on from some players before they had to pay them. Jock Peterson has been in the league now for six years, so I'm going to assume this is the final year of his contract of his rookie deal. Um, since that would make sense. He has been a decent player uh, for his entire career. He's been a, a, a really nice hitter for the, for the bulk of it. Nothing outlandish. Like he's never batted over a 130 OPS plus, but he's been above 110 every year except for 2017. And he's always been like a positive war dude. Like he is, um, again, aside from 2017. He's a he's a reliable outfield bat. Mm-hmm. What makes it weird is uh, I didn't think the Angels needed that. <laughs> so no, outfield was probably the one position the Angels needed least of all. Yeah. Um. So Ross Stripling makes a little bit more sense because God damn, do the Angels need pitching? And I was before we saw that Ross Stripling was part of this trade. I, that's what I was going to give them a world of shit for yet again. Um, because so many possibly good pitchers have gone elsewhere. So many flyers have gone elsewhere this off season that like, you just want to grab the entire angels organization and shake them and say, why? Um, but Ross Stripling can be good in 2018. He's an all-star. He was an, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 2018 was an all-star. 122 innings. Yeah. I, he did. 3.02 ERA. Like he he has the possibility to be good, but like I, I I'll put it this way. Credit to them. I'm glad they did it. It needed to be done that they got a pitcher, and this trade is super lopsided in their favor because the Dodgers were just trying to kind of move on from some some people uh and, and get underneath the required number of players on their active roster. But at the same time, it's like how like you only got this because it fell in your lap. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish they were more engaged. What do, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's really just uh, they were the lucky team to be able to take advantage of Dodgers needing to shed uh, a lot of payroll and basically just clear room for these guys to come in. Um, I mean, Luis Renfrigo, uh, however you pronounce it, that they sent out is a young guy, but he's not exactly a, a top tier prospect or a guy that's going to make a huge difference for the team. Um, no, he'll probably go down the minors. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge win for them, but I, I don't want to say it because I don't know how it's a little too, it's too little too late almost. Oh, it fe- you know, it feels that way. It really does. Yeah, it's like, yes, you're improving your team still, and you should always be making these kind of trades whenever you can, but Ross Stripling isn't the guy to save your, you know, your pitching staff. You know, Jacques Peterson, 
yeah, he's going to help your outfield out, but not exactly the, the you know most important guy you could be getting. But then could again, at the same time, they're getting him for free. So he's going to fill in for right field for them. Uh, you know, they needed a right fielder. We all kind of assumed that it was going to be Joe Adele at some point this season. This kind of buys them some time to let him grow a little bit more. Um, just uh, their depth chart now in the outfield is Mike Trout in center field, Justin Upton in left, and Jacques Peterson in right. Uh, and then, you know, do you want to go through the rest of their depth chart? So, hold on. Yes, I do. Uh, also, though, something I saw is that there's heavy consideration that Jacques Peterson might end up playing a lot of first base this year. Oh, that'd be cool. And then what would happen from there is it'd be a platoon between um, Jock Peterson and Albert Pujols to cut down on Pujols' playing time. So Pujols would only go in if they're playing against lefties. Mm -hmm. And then Jock Peterson would go in when they're facing righties. Uh, Jock Peterson, who did not play any first base until this past season, in 2019, he did have uh, a number of reps at first. I'm trying to find the exact number here. Uh, in first, uh, he had 20 games at first base out of the 139 games he appeared in. Uh, sorry, 149 games he appeared in. 20 of them were at first base. So it's a posi- it's a position almost anyone in the major leagues can play. Like it is the least defensive responsibly defensively responsible position. So he certainly can, and that would make it more interesting, and that would give them room to bring up Joe Adele when it is convenient for them to do so. And by that I mean manipulate service time, um, mm-hmm. because let's let's be real. So if I had to guess, I want I still want to hear the whole depth chart. But if I had to guess, I would say that right field is going to be Jock Peterson slash Joe Adele, basically just holding warming the seat, and then Jock would go to first when that happens. But uh, give me the whole thing. Uh, so I said the outfield first base Albert Pujols, second base Tommy Lastella. Shortstop and Dalton Simmons, uh, and then third base Anthony Rendon with David Fletcher being Mister Super Utility. Uh, DH Shohei Otani and Albert Pujols. Catcher Julian Castro, Jason Castro, excuse me. Uh, and then they have a rotation of Shohei Otani, Andrew Heaney, Julio Tehran, Dylan Bundy, Griffin Canning, and now and guess likely now Ross, Ross Stripling somewhere. Yeah. Who's the, who's the left fielder? I don't think I heard it. Justin Upton. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Um, man, it's just a weird team. Yeah, it's it's one of those where they have a lot of really good players in a lot of positions and then just black holes in others. Like, uh, I guess we can't really say right field now, but Albert Pujols at base, Jason Castro at catcher. Um, DH when Otani's pitching, uh, there's a lot of holes there. Um, I mean, David Fletcher's a good guy to fill in when you need him, but I don't know if he's going to be the kind of guy that you want playing, you know, or you know, you know what I mean? Like, he's not, yeah, I don't know what you mean. Star player there, yeah, I'd say the 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 holes are second base. I know Tom Lestella had a good season last year, and I want to believe in it, but I am naturally skeptic and until he does it again i don't care um so i would say that there's definitely a small hole but a hole there um 
first base and right field are going to be question marks until they're not. And Jock can be good. Jock can be bad. Joe Adele can be good. Joe Adele can be bad. Albert Pujols can be good. Albert Pujols can be bad. Like there's a lot that can happen with those two spots. Not that they are the two most important positions, but it leaves a lot in flux for that offense. Not so much their defense, but for their offense. Mm -hmm. All that to the side, that pitching rotation is still ridiculously stupid um, and not in a good way. It's fucking questionable. Super fucking questionable. And yeah, it's, it's, I think that they're hoping to win all their games eight to six because that's the best chance they got. I feel like that's pitching staff is going to, it's, I, I hope it's going to be a pitching staff that's full of, you know, this year's uh, Lance Lynn and, you know, these surprise guys from last year that were able to put it together seemingly out of nowhere. Um, because they're going to have to, because otherwise it's it's not looking great for them. No, it's there's not. Just, there's so much injury potential there. Oh, well, it's the Angels, so that's just a given. Yeah, true. Luckily, though, that, that team will probably be fun. Like, all the players they have oh, are pretty true. fun. The left side of their infield is super fun. So, at least they have that. Yeah, I mean, they have a great defensive team, uh, at least, you know, in the important positions. Um, so they have that going for them to kind of hold up their questionable pitching. And they have um, Mike Trout. And they have Mike Trout, so that's all you really need. That's all any of us really need. <laughs> I think that that's it for baseball at this point. Uh, I think I, I think I that's all there was. But that's that that was some heavy shit. Yeah, that's a lot. I really I really didn't think that Mookie Betts if you told me this offseason before it started, like at the end of last season, that Mookie Betts was going to be traded and not Francisco Lindor. Um <laughs> cuz like not even that Francisco Lindor should have been traded, but it was just talked about so heavily for it to not happen and instead Mookie Betts to get traded. Like, wow. I mean, my God. I can't say that I'm uh, not happy that it was bets over Lindor, but. Yeah, oh, of course. It's, it's something. Shall we talk about some football stuff? Let's talk about football. All right. Uh, we can uh, talk about the awards nominations uh, or winners, I should say, in regards to our bold predictions. So. Yeah. You want to start off with the awards or the prediction? Let's, you know, let's, let's start awards. with the awards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go first because you're probably you're going to be closer. Offensive Rookie of the Year is what I have first. Is that what you have? Um, uh, I'm on NFL.com. I have Pepsi Rookie of the Year. No, I mean on your... um. Oh, on my sheet? On your sheet. I have MVP, but I can do Rookie. All right. Well, we're going to... Yeah, I'm, I'm going first. <laughs> we're going with my order. Uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray won Offensive Rookie of the Year. I had Josh Jacobs. So, no good. Who'd you have? Are you going off of your uh, midway awards or beginning of the season? I do beginning of the season because you're the only one of us who wrote down midway. All right, never mind then. Uh, I had David Montgomery uh, winning Offensive Rookie of the Year over Kyler Murray as my AFC candidate. Uh, and then halfway through, I changed my prediction to Josh Jacobs. Um, so I'm wrong all around. Um, but yeah, Kyler Murray kind of 
I don't want to say the obvious because there were other good candidates, uh, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, like we said, but Kyler Murray's the quarterback. He's the first overall pick. They're going to give him the award. Although I am kind of salty about it because what do you think, jo- what do you think, not Josh Jacobs, what do you think Kyler Murray's QB rating was this year? Oh, 85. 56. Holy fuck. Really? 56. And they gave him rookie of the year? Oh, sorry, that's QBR. QBR. Sorry, his quarterback oh, rating was 87.4. Okay. Oh, my God. All right, that makes so much more sense. It's still not great. No. But, damn. All right. All right. Oof. Oof. Take a breath. <laughs> All right, defensive rookie of the year. I had the optimistic pick of Quentin Williams. It was Nick Bosa. Who'd you have? I also had the homer pick of Devin Bush. Uh Nick Bosa was my NFC pick and my midway pick. Um, but man, I was hoping Devin Bush could uh, continue on with that early season. Just great play. But yeah, Nick Bosa 100% deserves it. You know, he, he was does. Phenomenal all year long. Um, we both put down a rookie of the year award because at least I did because I couldn't remember if they had a generic rookie, overall rookie of the year award. And. Um, because I could have sworn I remembered Dak and the the Dak and Zeke situation, but I clearly I remembered it wrong. Um, so that doesn't matter. I had Daniel Jones, which wouldn't have happened. But did you have anything for that? Uh, I don't have anything written down, but I'm gonna go with Nick Bosa at this point. I probably want Devin Bush if we did it beginning of the season, and then Nick Bosa at midway. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not an actual award, so it doesn't fucking matter, apparently. Uh <laughs> offensive player of the year. No, we can do anything we want. Offensive player of the year, I was so close. I had Alvin Kamara. It was actually his teammate, Michael Thomas. Yeah. I had Saquon Barkley and then Christian McCaffrey halfway through. Uh so I was wrong. Yeah, this Certainly definitely feels like uh Mike, 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 please stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, defensive Not that he player didn't deserve it though, because you know, oh yeah, great year. record, seventeen hundred receiving yards. He had a good season. Ver- yeah, like absolutely. Um, defensive player of the year. I went with the homer pick of Jamal Adams. It was actually cornerback from the Patriots, Stephon Gilmore. I went Miles Garrett. I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, instead, <laughs> instead he got suspended. <laughs> um. For MVP, I went out of the box and picked Philip Rivers. He anyway. is going to get fired. Uh, <laughs> instead, it was Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I I went Pat Mahomes. That was kind of my safe pick throughout all this. Um, he was in contention, but he he did not win. Yeah, my next pick looks even worse. For Coach of the Year, I picked Adam Gase, and it, it was not Adam Gase. It was it was John Harbaugh. That's that's rough. Yeah. Um I picked Mike Zimmer. Oh. Uh, yeah, he didn't win it either. No. Yeah. And <laughs> finally I just want to say I, I I picked the Vikings to win the Super Bowl. I actually didn't write down who I wanted to pick the Super Bowl, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have gotten it wrong. Yeah, I had the Vikings over the Steelers. <laughs> Oops. Well, bud, you were wrong, <laughs> as I would have been too. Uh, and finally, comeback player of the year, I wrote down Jimmy Garoppolo or whatever, and instead it was Ta- Ryan Tannehill. 
Yeah, I mean, Ryan Tannehill kind of came out of nowhere the second half of the year. Definitely, I would say, is deserving of it. I picked Earl Thomas myself, who had himself a quiet year. Um, but I feel like comeback's always the hardest player to pick because unless there's an obvious player that was hurt or was out for most of the season, it's it's hard to it's hard to come up with those, you know? Yeah, that's a tricky award to kind of pick out. Not that we got any of these right, but still. No. Did anyone, uh, did either of us get anything right? No, we got all of them wrong. Oh, nice. Which brings us to our bold predictions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my first one was Kyler Murray posts a losing record and finishes with the QBR below 80. Um, he did finish with a losing record, 5-10-1, although it's in part, large part because the Cardinals are bad. Um, and his QB rating was 87 Point four, as I said previously, so I got half credit, which I basically had, I think, last time we did this. So you can look at half credit as no credit. You can look at half credit as half credit. Up to you. I'm taking half credit. <laughs> um, my number one was Delvin Cook leads the NFL in rush yards and rushing touchdowns. Uh, yeah, so he's, he only played in 14 games compared to 15, 16 for the rest of the NFL finished 10th in rushing yards with 1135 uh as for touchdowns he finished uh fourth with 13 uh behind derrick henry and aaron jones with 16 and christian mccaffrey with 15 so close but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades so that's a big old zero for me my next one, I have the Rams offense does not finish in the top five. I got this one right. Los Angeles finished uh, overall. I think we went by, I think we went by yards for this because that was like the, the generic way that most places do it. They finished number seven. Yeah. Seventh uh, in yards with just under 6,000, 5,998. Uh, and in points four, they finished 11th, 394. So, by any metric you want, out of the top five. Is Sean McVay not a good head coach anymore? Nope, too short. Ah, Can't see over any obstacles. (laughs) All right, my number two. uh, Miles Garrett falls just short of NFL sack record, but leads the league with 21. I'm not going to talk about this one. Yeah. Uh. I'm I'm just gonna read my next two because they tie into each other. Oh man, all of these are wrong. I'm not. I'll just go one at a time to keep it normal. Tom Brady doesn't play the whole season. Tom Brady did play the whole season. I got this one wrong. <laughs> all right, my next one. Uh, the Steelers defense finishes top five by DVOA. They finished third, so I finally got one right. Um, if you go to Football Outsiders, they kind of have the DVOA rankings. Um, it goes by negative percentage as the highest, which is a weird way to do it, but whatever. Uh, they also have a weighted defense, uh, ranking, which basically, uh, earlier games in the season are weighted less than later games. So you could see how the team was playing by the end of the season. Um, and they had a huge lead as the number one team in WEI defense. Uh, full 4% higher than the next closest team, which was Baltimore. Um, just for reference, they had 20... Negative, eh, fuck it, never mind. Nobody cares. Let's move uh, on. Yeah. Uh, my next one was the Patriots missed the playoffs. The Patriots did not miss the playoffs. I got this one wrong. 
Um, my next one, Devin Bush leads the league in tackles. Um, he was not even close. Actually, let me see if I could find where he finished. Um, he finished, let's see, 25th in solo tackles. And if we go with combined, oh my God, there's so many players. Um, he finished 31st with 109. So did not get this one right. All right, my next one is Antonio Brown leads all wide receivers in yards. He didn't in he played in one game all season, so not right. So, so did you get it? I was close. I was close. If he had played, if he had played fifteen more games, I would have got there. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Giants bench Eli for Daniel Jones after Week Six, only to bench Jones for Eli later in the season. Uh, no, this did not happen uh, in any capacity. So my next one, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see how many I got, um, because it's eight plus head coaches get fired, uh, before the season ends. And how many did get fired? It wasn't eight, but it was a lot. Um, uh, I actually don't, I don't know off the top of my head. John Gruden got fired. Yeah. Um. Did the Browns head coach, did Freddie Kitchens get fired? Yes. Uh, granted, that was not before the season ends, but like, let's just loosen that up for a second. Um, um, Ron Rivera see. got fired. Right? Who? Ron Rivera. Yes. Um, hmm. Anyone in the AFC South get fired? Um, not yet, right? So it was rumored that Doug Marone was going to, but then he didn't. Um, Jason Garrett got fired. Jason Garrett got fired. Three. Oh, Pat Shermer got fired. Pat Shermer. Um, anyone the uh, AFC? And then yeah, so there was five total. Yeah, no one else. No one in the NFC North. Redskins, Giants. Um, I'm just looking through a big list here. Cowboys, Browns, and Panthers. All right. So I was a little bit more than halfway there. Um, uh, I can't count it, but it was close-ish. Yeah. So my next one was Jameis Winston leads the NFC in touchdowns and interceptions. He did do that. Um, he was first in the NFL in passes intercepted with 30, uh, <laughs> a full nine more than the next closest, which was Baker Mayfield, uh, who was just one ahead of, uh, MV Philip Rivers. Um, and then Jameis Winston finished second in the NFL behind only Lamar Jackson with 33 touchdowns. So I got another one, right? There you go, buddy. I'm so happy. My next one's not even close. Brian Hoyer takes the Colts to the playoffs, and um, he didn't. He wasn't a starter all season, and the Colts didn't make the playoffs. So, nope. Um, let's see. My next one is Chris Godwin and Tyler Lockett finished the season both as Q, or wide receiver one. Uh, wide receiver ones in fantasy football. Uh, Chris Godwin finished the season uh, despite being injured as the number two wide receiver. And then Tyler Lockett here finished as 15. Um, 
I don't know. You play fantasy football. Is that enough to be a wide receiver one in your mind? Top 15? Um, I guess technically it is. Yeah. I don't know. It depends on your league size. I'll give myself half a point for this because Chris Godwin definitely was. Tyler Lockett was close. You know what? Fuck it. They were both right there. I get a point. I score myself. There you go. <laughs> uh, my next one is the Detroit Lions win the NFC North. They did, and I lost. <laughs> Uh, next one. Uh, Evan Ingram leads the Giants in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. Evan Ingram only started six games. He did not do either. My next one is the Jacksonville defense can't put it together and that the offense carries them to six wins. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars won. I don't remember how many games. I'm looking it up super fast because I didn't have it in front of me. Games. Oh, look at that. I don't know if their offense won it for them, but they definitely won six games. And their offense finished in terms of yards allowed. Um, mm, scrolling down, 24th. And in terms of points scored, um, they finished... Uh, where are you, Jacksonville? Not high, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I'm... Looking, I'm looking. I don't see him. Oh my goodness! I think they just fell off the face of the fucking earth. Oh, there they are, 21st. So their defense sucked, um, and their offense was bright at times. Uh, there's six wins. They won the first one, 20 to seven. That's a, I don't know. Uh, they won their second one, 26 to 24. Uh, they won their third game, 27 to 17. Their fourth game, 29 to 15. Um, their 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 fifth one twenty to sixteen, and their last one thirty eight to twenty. Um, so uh, I, I'm gonna say I'm right, cause what you can't tell me I'm not. You're right. I can't. So yeah, there you go. Fuck you. You're up. <laughs> uh, Josh Rosen starts the season as a backup, yet finishes the season leading the league in sacks. Um, he did start the season as a backup. And then finished 32nd in sacks with 16. The leader was Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson, all with 48. So uh, this is not right. And my last one is the Miami Dolphins released new uniforms slash logos this year to distract from a terrible season, and they didn't. <laughs> which is shocking. Um, yeah. Not really, since they, they couldn't. But yeah, you know, whatever. Um, uh, so I get two out of ten. Ish. My, my last one, Antonio Brown plays up to his contract. And, um, his contract was voided, which means he doesn't have a contract, so he kind of lived up to it. Uh, but I can't. I'm not. I'm not even gonna try and pull that one. So I got three out of ten. I am the victor. I am the smartest man on the planet. Fuck you, Josh. Suck my dick. You are welcome. I <laughs> let you win. <laughs> <laughs> This was a season-long ploy that you fell for. Um, oh, God. And I can't wait to do it again next year. Oh, 100%. Any, uh, anything else with football? Um, I mean, there's some other awards that really don't matter all that much. Calais Campbell won Walter Payton Man of the Year. Well, that one I would say matters a lot. We just didn't predict it. It matters a lot, but it's it's hard for us to talk about without really knowing a, a lot about any of the candidates and whatnot. Yeah, but that's and that's, it's not one you can 
even remotely readily predict. Like we can say we got close yeah. on a few predictions because players performed up to what you thought they would, and they just didn't win because someone else performed even greater. But like you can't predict someone's charitable output in a year. Yep, I agree. Especially since we're not, you know, actively, and we can't really actively follow everything all these players do. You know, no. in their own no. time, charity-wise. So, um, yeah, especially because it's not even like positional. You know, it can't be like, all right, who, which offensive lineman gave the most to the boys and girls club this year? Like, it, it's it's right. it, 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 it's every player on every team. Like, it's that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's not happening. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that I didn't write down, um, which usually happens. Well, then you know we're over an hour, so uh, let's call it. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on Instagram, nope, we don't have that. I, I haven't known that in so long. If you <laughs> want to follow the show on Twitter? You can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at Juicing the Numbers at gmail.com. And until Monday. Y'all have a good one. Bye.